Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In the end of Romans chapter 6, Paul introduces an analogy for the life of the unbeliever and for the life of the believer. One is a slave to sin and unrighteousness, and the other is a slave of righteousness or slaves to God. Paul admits the analogy is imperfect because with God we come into freedom and life. Now join me as we consider Romans 6, 20-23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But now, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. And so we're looking at these two points of slavery, and we're seeing in these two points of slavery two different outcomes. One is a future of ongoing uncleanness. Another is the future of uh, developed righteousness and sanctification, holiness, and Christ-likeness. The next thing we look at at these two different slaveries is they offer to us two different forms of freedom. There is a freedom that you experience when you decide that you're just going to live for yourself. When you're going to unshackle yourself from the moral restraints of your family or from your culture and you walk out to your woodstock of living for yourself and finding your own free way and there is in that moment a celebration of that you've been unshackled and you're free to pursue your own way. There is. There is. The Bible calls it a pleasure of sin for a season. It's only for a season, but in that season there's a certain kind of excitement. A certain kind of thrill that you have when you feel like you've got out from underneath the burden of all those demands and you get to explore for yourself and express yourself, live for yourself. And it's a freedom. And Satan promises you to it. Satan comes along and says, here it is. You are liberated. You're free. Live in that freedom for any time. And what you'll find out is the only thing that you've set yourself free from, that the only thing you've actually are independent from, the only thing that you've separated yourself from is being right. And being righteous. What we said last week is that's a serious thing because deep down inside that's what you're made to be. You were made to be right with the world and right with God and right within yourself and when you're not right, when you're not right with yourself, life is full of confusion and disappointment and greater and greater disenchantment because you're getting further and further separated from the very thing that you were made to be which was right. So you find individuals who are Pursuing morality apart from Christ and pursuing trying to be right and good apart from Christ and it won't work and it will fail, but actually that instinct is an expression of what deep inside they want. They want to be right. They want to be right before God. They want to be right in themselves. They want to be right with the world. And he's saying, listen, if you keep pursuing this independence where you live free from the constraints of Jesus Christ and the constraints of the saving grace that he gives you, and the rule of God in your life, you'll gain a certain kind of freedom, but it'll be a freedom from the very thing that you want and you need and that you desire and that is basic to your humanity. It will destroy you. And so instead, it will lead you into a life of destruction. But God offers us a freedom. God offers us a freedom where he comes and he cleanses us from all our sins and he, he saves us from the bondage of that sin and he 
places upon us the freedom that comes from being released from that sin, and he binds us up into one thing, and that is being put right with God and himself. What a wonderful, liberating bondage that is. What a fulfilling and completing freedom that is, because now it's freedom to be what you were made to be. Freedom to experience the essence of what God had put in the echoing desire in your heart. And I know it's true. Listen, I know it's true. You see it in the life of every individual. It is a flickering flame, but deep inside of them, what they had going and pulsating that drives them in any kind of way that makes them ability to live with life with any manner of success or order is there's this flickering impulse or desire to be right. To be right. And it's the great frustration of their life. And even why individuals give themselves up to the profusion of sin is because it's an expression of the grave disappointment that somehow can't be right in themselves. They want to be right. And, well, seeking your own independence from God will not bring you into that state. Coming before Him and yielding before Him and receiving what He freely gives you through Jesus Christ will. That's the freedom you want. Here's the third thing we saw here. This is the area that actually we stopped at and we didn't get into. And so this is what we'll consider today. It's, I want you to see the fruit of both of these slaveries. What fruit, he writes in verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You see that? For the end of those things is death. From the things of which you are now ashamed. The things that you are now ashamed. I want to say something here, and I think we need to understand this. The person who's leads their life before coming to Christ, that person who's not a believer and not a follower of Jesus Christ, has, if we looked at their life and that they looked at their life, many blessings that they can count and recount. Blessings from family and friends and health. They have happy memories of victories and accomplishments. There are moments in which they have experienced kindness from others. They have the satisfaction that comes into life from knowing that they've made a contribution or they've been useful to others. These are all things that God gives to all people. But having said that, Paul is saying here that there is something that has not fully registered in the life of an individual before they come to Christ. Something they have not fully realized or understood. And the thing they've not fully realized and understood is this. Shame. Shame for their conduct and their behavior. They have something to be ashamed of that they are not ashamed of like they should be. Now, this is contrary to everything that our day and age is taught. We're taught that above everything else you need to avoid and the most destructive thing in your life is shame. And yes, it's true, there is misdirected shame. You don't have to be ashamed for the way God made you. You don't have to be ashamed if you have curly hair and you wanted to have straight hair. Or if you have straight hair and you always wanted to have curly hair. That's just the way God made you. And you don't have to be ashamed of what people do to you. You don't have to be ashamed when somebody pulls your curly hair. You don't have to be ashamed of that. That's their problem. But you do have to be shamed if you light your own hair on fire. If somehow to make an impression or to gain attention or to prove yourself, you do something destructive to yourself. Now, you have to be ashamed of that thing. And your effort to prove your own independence from your creator, from everybody else that's trying to constrain you, you set your hair on fire. Well, then you have to be ashamed of that. And daily, individuals are doing things to themselves. And their effort to express their independence from their creator and from the culture around them. And thinking that they're all to blame. And as a result, in the pursuit to exert their own independence, they 
do shameful things that they should be ashamed of. And that's a misdirected shame. I think that the fact is, in order to not feel this shame, we oftentimes can manipulate things to avoid where our behavior leads us. And so we live in an age, as I said, which has taught us that the great need of all people is above everything else a positive self-esteem. And it's become an idol for individuals to such an extent that if your behavior doesn't reflect what you believe is right for your life, then you're told not to change your behavior. You're told to change what you believe in. That somehow you're believing in the wrong thing. And so, for example, if your behavior is such that you believe that what you ought to do is love other people, but you find that you're consistently not loving other people, then you need to change your belief. What you need to believe instead is that you really can't be good for anybody else until you really learn how to love yourself above everything else. And if you believe what you ought to do is think of other people first, because your behavior shows that you're not doing that, what you need to change your mind is, actually, you need to think of yourself first. You need to live for yourself. You need to commit yourself to being good to yourself above everything else. So what you've changed is you've not changed your behavior. You've reconstructed your belief in order that you might not be ashamed that your behavior is not comporting with what you believe to be true. And it's all an attempt to escape this sense of failing that you have within us. And we do this because we've been taught that shame is the great enemy of the individual and his or her need to realize a positive self-esteem. I just want to tell you what I think about this. We're moving a little bit beyond the text, but I think this is true. I think this is true because this text is telling us that what is necessary in sense and what is lacking is a proper sense of shame in the individuals who haven't been awakened by the Spirit of God. And God has given to everyone some measure of that sense of shame for behavior. I think that shame is evidence of a certain kind of positive self-love that's in an individual. You know, the Bible says you're to love your neighbor as yourself. That means there is certain things that you can do that is loving toward yourself, that it's approved, that it's good. And actually, I think at times when parents try to level some sense of shame at a child's conduct, they're exerting upon their child that positive sense of self-love. I said it before that there are individuals who feel good about themselves because they've been useful. Well, that's a kind of self-love that's not necessarily bad. It's the fact that you love yourself and you want to be useful in the world. Well, that's okay. That's all right. That's something that God has given you. Well, here's another one. God's given us a sense of shame, and I think that sense of shame is a reflection of this positive self-love. It's evidence that there's a part of you that loves yourself so much that you want yourself to be good and to do what is right. You're not pleased to settle with any kind of happiness that's acquired for yourself and satisfaction that's acquired for yourself in any moment or over any time that is not gained without an accompanying goodness. You want to be good and you want to be right still. And one about how you get things for yourself and you acquire for your things and you get experience that even bring you pleasure, but they don't go together with what you believe to be good. You feel shame. It's like a regulating thing that of self-love that God has given to us. There's a way, by the way, you can kill that. You can diminish that impulse. Just keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. And eventually, the shame will go away. Your conscience will be sheared. Give yourself to the habit of the environment of the things where you've compromised your sense of what is good and what's right and what you believe to be good and right. And eventually, you won't feel shame. You'll be able to conduct yourself in those things without that sense of shame. But what you're doing is 
You're killing that thing in yourself that was good and was presiding and guarding over you with tenderness. You're killing that proper sense of self-love for an improper sense of self-love that is destructive. You're killing the thing that was vital and alive within you. You know, G.K. Chesterton said that an individual should not be proud of the fact that the things that their grandmother was shocked at is something that they have become accustomed to seeing without seeing and hearing without being shocked. You shouldn't boast that you've raised above the shock value of the generation went before you. This, by the way, was something was actually promoted when I went into ministry. That you had to have people come to you and if they shared with you the sins and the things that were in their life that you needed a person who was shockproof. Well, I don't think that's a good thing. To be shockproof. You don't find a sense of offense at the things that are taking place in people's lives. I don't think that will help them. I think that's occurring to the very thing that's bringing them to grave danger. Chester goes on to say that it may be that your grandmother was an extremely lively and vital animal, and you are a paralytic. You're a moral paralytic. And sensitive to the very things that are going on around you. By the way, most people's high view of themselves you know, that positive self-esteem is not based on their behavior anyhow. It's based on what they imagine or believe they would do in any given situation. You know, if I was that person, I would, well, I would never say, well, I would never do, etc. I think William Kirkpatrick in a really wonderful book called Psychological Seduction says that most individuals are their own armchair quarterbacks. They all say all what they would do in any given situation, but actually they'd fumble the ball in that situation, in that circumstance, and Shame comes when you realize that's the truth. Thanks for joining us at The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.